All right, hello, and welcome back to the Binge Boys Podcast. This year, we're here to recap everything we have fucking watched, which is a lot, in 52 weeks of content, 52 weeks of episodes, plus some holiday episodes. We're here to dish out awards like we're old Jolly Saint Nick, even though this comes out after Christmas. So, we gotta introduce ourselves before we get into these lovely awards known as the Bingies. With you today, my name is Enrique. My name is Eli. Happy New Year. My name is Tristan. Not yet, buddy. Not yet. It's the 26th, homie. Yeah, well, you know. Not even close. We're we're coming (laughs) up on it. A few days. Already fucked up the flow. (laughs) But yes, this is the third annual Da Bingies Award. That's crazy to say. It's the third time we've done this. We've only been doing the show actually for like two and a half years. Started in the middle of the year, like July-ish. We did not plan this out smartly. If we would, we probably did like test runs and started in like a January or something to be even. But we don't do that here because we don't plan things out. Because what does the DA stand for? Dumb, Dumb asses. asses. That's damn right, bro. That's what we are. <laughs> but we don't plan things out, except for when we do, because we plan this out in advance. And we got to start with our first award for today, which is the worst movie award. We've seen a plethora of different things throughout the year. And it's time to crown the three doo-dooists of them all. <laughs> and I would like to throw it to my good friend, Eli, to start us off with third place. All right, listen. I, I asked to talk about this one, right? Because this was by far my worst movie of the year, and these two fuckers decided that they had a different opinion. So yes, sir. I'm just, just going to voice mine real quick. So I have do revenge, right? I would not recommend this to anyone over the age of about 12 or male. No offense to my under 12 female viewers here. You are very far and few between. What about the um, LGBT community? I, Wait, I I hope they don't like this. I respect that community and I respect their opinions. Not if they like this shit. So... <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> Alright. You're going crazy That's already. wild. I'm sorry, bro. Um... <laughs> So people that have seen Pretty Little Liars, right? Disregard. Disregard what I'm about to say. This is what outside people think Pretty Little Liars is about. That just refuse to watch it. It's the worst high school girl bullshit plot line of I have to get shitty revenge on my shitty friend that decided to make shitty mistakes. Um, The first what 30 minutes we decided wasn't that bad i thought different i thought this was terrible i'm not gonna get too far into it because honestly it's kind of blanked at this point i have too much ptsd to where my brain has just exited it's put up the wall from supernatural where i just forget that shit so honestly go watch this if you you know hate yourself you know uh if not i respect it but do revenge look it up don't don't do that now the baton has been passed to your boy to talk about the second worst movie that we have watched this year. I must take the brunt of this one for I selected it onto the list and I watched it and I said, God damn it. I missed again. <laughs> you know what's so, funny is you've actually put all three of these on the list. Rick, and we have an issue about that. <laughs> oh my God. So I did. <laughs> hey, Two of these. I knew what it was though. So well, yeah, it's fair. I mean, we'll we'll get actually we'll get to it in a minute. But Reek's not alone in this kind of category. But, you know. 
I planned out two of these three to be in this area at the end of the year, okay? So <laughs> I can't say I missed when I hit my target. It's just not the target anyone wanted me to hit. <laughs> this one was just a straight-up miss, unfortunately. I was not Hawkeye because I selected Cargo 2018-2017, depending who you're talking to, with Martin Short, I want to say his name is. He's some sort of bloke that I don't really care about. This movie was a pile of dog shit. If you ever played the Dead Rising video games, the plotline is Dead Rising 2, except they're in Australia and they're running around looking for Zombrex, trying to heal everyone, and yada yada yada. It was a pile of dog shit. Why was it a pile of dog shit? Well, they had this random dude coming around with real rapey vibes. Not only was he giving off rapey vibes, he was racist too. Like, he was yeah. actually chaining up women. Then he had a kid in a cage having zombies trying to kill the kid shooting out zombies it was just the most weird goofy movie it wasn't trying to take like a funny zombie land take on zombies it wasn't super serious to the point where you had like a excellent symbolism in it like a world war z it was just bleh and you know with me bleh is the worst thing you could ever be that's yeah. why Cargo is a steamy pile of dog shit. To someone else, <laughs> it'll be like, man, it was solid. Like, you know, it was a decent sandwich on some white bread. And I'm like, man, <laughs> if you give me white bread, that bread might as well have shit on it. Okay. <laughs> so that's why Cargo is the second worst movie we watched this year. And what I would like that? to hand it off to Tristan for number one. All right. At number one, our worst movie of the year. Uh, it's going to one that all of us hated immediately. Reek did it to us on purpose. I'm still mad at him for it. It's Moonshot, starring Cole Sprouse. Okay? Start to finish, this movie had nothing going for it. Cole Sprouse played a very mediocre character at best. At best. Okay? There was a terrible love plot where he was... Well, actually, there was two terrible love plots. First, he's going to space to follow some chick that he spent one night with. No idiot. sex. No. 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 Total idiot. Okay? So that's bad enough. He's going to Mars for this girl. Okay? Secondly, there's this other girl that he meets on the ship who's going to see her boyfriend who's already on Mars. And then they fall in love through their journey. And I, it's utterly ridiculous, right? Uh, Cole Sprouse as... Oh, okay of a job as he did was not provided much to work with okay they did some exciting but not really boring things in space and then they tried to make it seem super fun and exciting and it wasn't and then they had the plot once they actually got to mars and he got arrested because he was a stowaway on the ship to mars and so then he's just in trouble and they're gonna send him back to earth with the trash ship uh because he's basically trash and then, you know, the girl that he spent time with on the ship was like, well, I love him now and my boyfriend kind of sucks. So I'm going to be with him. And her brother boyfriend. Her brother. You know what? That's absolutely right. It was her brother boyfriend, which is also pretty weird. But it was just very forced in a lot of ways. And nothing was exciting. The main protagonist, uh, not protagonist, but the main chick, she was not good. She was not exciting. She was not funny. And it was just a poor choice for a lot of things that they did in that movie. The script was not good either. It wasn't funny at all. And it it just provided a lot of negative energy for our I, watching uh, experience. I would like to add in a personal anecdote about this movie. So oh, no. I decided it was a good idea to 
kill two birds with one stone while watching this movie, and I decided to fold a shit ton of laundry. Um, and that day, I realized that laundry it was not the worst thing to happen to me that day. It was watching this movie. Dude. Thank you. <laughs> I would That's rather not- take, take Reek's white bread poop sandwich than, than watch Moonshot as well. That's why it took away our number one worst movie of the year. Shout out to Moonshot, shout out to Cole Sprouse, and shout out to, I believe her name is Lana Condor, is the actress you're looking for, who played the main love interest, featured in amazing things like, to all the boys I've ever loved. So <laughs> this is right. her forte. She, This is what she does. Terrible that's why, Netflix movie. That was that's why that. it was bad. So, we must ask the question, does it beat last oh year's winner? I would have to check what last no, year's winner no. was. It was the <laughs> Death Note live action. <laughs> the back-to-back champ, I believe. Well, actually, no, did we no, watch that last year? That was last year. Never mind. It was, it um, was inaugural this, last year. It's yeah. time for Death Note to become the two-time. Absolutely <laughs> yep. the two-time. It is now two-time, a two-time, two-time champ. Two-time, two-time champion. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> as bad as Moonshot was, as much as I hated watching it, it wasn't Death Note live action. Death Note live action? More like, I'm dead. Here's a note. <laughs> I'm not alive. There's no action. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. Now it's time to swing the pendulum in the other direction and talk about our favorite or the best movies we watched in 2022 starting off with ironically myself i entered the fray now if you didn't read the warning you gotta understand this is not what came out this year this is what we've watched this year okay buddy boy so when you hear this classic you might be like what the fuck this classic's only three sorry but that's what happened i'm here to talk to you guys about spirited away studio ghibli film if you know anything about studio ghibli they are the dynamite killers of the industry when it comes to anime movies they make something the entire world jumps out of their seat to watch it they are the disney of japan basically and there's a good reason for it because spirited away is absolute classic while the plot could be considered thin at times because you're really just living in the world of spirited away alongside the character's journey of the main girl the art and everything just encapsulates you so well and gives you a feeling of emotion and just grandeur. When you see the bathhouse, you see the dragons, you see the sky, you see these creatures, you see this dude running around with a white mask and a full black body looking like the opposite of Casper. And you're just like, damn, what's going on here? And it just engrosses you all the way through to the end of the film. And I just loved all it had to offer. Musically, visually, and emotionally. It struck me in my Grinch-sized heart. (laughs) And expanded it three times that day. (laughs) And Spirit Away is absolute classic for anyone seen it. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Yes, it's anime, but I think anyone could watch this, whether you're five years old or you're 65 years old. There's just some things we watched this year that gave us more excitement and enjoyment, but we have to admit that Spirit Away is a classic and quality, and that's why it ranked at number three in our best movies of 2022 list. It definitely makes me want to watch more Studio Ghibli films. So I, I will definitely be doing that, and you'll probably see more on the pod eventually. 
totally fine uh, with that. It was very heartfelt, and I appreciate that's what I appreciated about this movie. So this leads into our second best movie of the year, which is Synchronic. Now, little backstory on this one. So we watched the trailer on our old forgotten segment of Trailer Trash, uh, and we were really excited about this one. Um, Reek and I actually saw this separately before we put it on pod. I put it on pod because I'm a cheater um, <laughs> and I don't feel good about it, but we're here now. So this is why I'm talking about it. Uh, Anthony Mackie stars in this movie. Uh, it's about basically a newfound drug that takes you into a certain part of the past um, in the exact place that you took that pill or whatever it was. Um, so it kind of just follows him going through time, trying to extend his life, if you will, without spoiling much, um, and his adventure through there. I would very much recommend this. Again, I've seen it twice now. Uh, there's a reason that I dropped this on the podcast for us to watch. Um, go check out that review if you haven't, because it's a good one. Um, yeah, it's it's a very different take on sci-fi, naturally, in Hollywood. I like it. I like it. This brings us to the top of the, the chain right here. Best movie that we watched this year. Numero uno, Nobody. Nobody is a movie that fits, at least personally, if not in all of our hearts, uh, in exactly the kind of movie that we love to see. And it's not going to win you know, awards for a lot of stuff, but it's action-packed. That's all it is. It's going to win awards here. It's I was gonna, gonna say won the best movie. That's the best award a movie can win, right? <laughs> you, you right, you right. Uh, let's see, start to finish. Well, maybe not the start. The very start, we're getting the introduction to the character, and then after that, it is nonstop action. If you like John Wick, you will like Nobody. It's the same kind of stuff where it's just mindless, beautiful violence and fighting. This dude is badass. He's whooping ass left, right, upside down, inside and out throughout the entire movie, protecting his family, and it's awesome. There are so many good scenes between the house, the bus, and the very end, where he's just killing people, beating them up, whatever it is. And the reason that this is better than some other similar types of movies is because we see that he is completely human. Whereas in other situations, we see guys who just don't seem to take any damage. They're good no matter what. This guy took his his lumps and he just kept going anyways we saw how battered and bruised he was and he kept fighting the whole time and he was still even while injured doing doing his best and whooping everybody's ass all around the place and we love the mindless violence in movies so that's the big reason why this movie went number one this year shout out to bob odenkirk for that role you damn did great you better call him so <laughs> yeah, yeah, you even better. <laughs> we gotta ask the grand question. We gotta put nobody up against a two-time already running defending two-time champion in Train to Busan, <sighs> and we gotta ask the question: Does nobody knock Train to Busan off as the best movie in DBB history? Well, this is personally. I mean, my vote is yes. I was not the biggest Train to Busan guy, so that was an obvious vote for me. That's fair. My rationale for this, correct, I have to, I had to argue with myself. I had to come to grips with this question. I understand that nobody is this great piece of action, 
you know it's an hour and 30 minutes long it's concise tight fun and enjoyable and then i look at train to busan which is is this epic you know you see this journey of this man you see him learning and everything like that you see death and horror and zombies in a train it's the opposite of snakes on a plane <laughs> and i just find myself not thinking that nobody can beat it and so i have to go with train to busan for me i'm i'm in a similar boat again the mindless violence the action of nobody is right up my alley along with a couple snide funny comments it's enjoyable there was not a part of that that i didn't like but then train to busan was also had a lot of action it was suspenseful it had drama i was more invested in the characters than i was in the character in nobody so i'm also gonna have to stick with train to busan as our reigning defending undisputed best movie eli shakes his fist at the sky one more year <laughs> why God, on the you downfall <laughs> your toughest battles <laughs> As Train to Busan becomes the first three time in DBB history. Can Won't you be believe the it? Hey, somebody slide into our DMs and give me some movie recommendations so we don't <laughs> get this shit again. <laughs> if it's the fourth time, you guys ended. <laughs> I'm done, bro. Gotta retire from the Seer show. <laughs> I was like, there's no way Train to Busan wins movie the year two years after this one. And they said, here go two more for y'all. <laughs> It's time to talk about what has been dubbed Twitter's favorite award (laughs) because we're talking about the top ships and what we've watched in the year of 2022. Oh, boy. Now, if you don't understand what a ship is for those who are actually normal or have a life, (laughs) a ship is a relationship or an implied relationship between two characters in a show. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, straight, it can be, you know, two men, two women, a man and a woman, and anything else in between. We like to keep it wide open, but we usually Almost like to imply else. that it is romantic, you know, somewhat romantic. We don't really include friendships onto this list. It's mainly romantic type of relationships. So we got to start it off with our number three. I want to pass that baton to Eli. Alright, so obviously we won't be talking about the shows that this rela- these relationships are in, um, just purely the relationships, so if you want to hear about the show, either go watch it or check out our reviews and hear us rant. Um, the first, or third, I guess, on this list uh, will be Hinata and Takamichi from Tokyo Revengers. Um, in the show, uh, he is traveling back in time to save his, uh, spoiler alert, his deceased ex-girlfriend um, who was killed by basically the Yakuza. Um, so it, we're just following the relationship of him trying to make amends in the past. Uh, again, spoiler alert, fucking up every single time and getting her <laughs> killed every single time. We will see what season two entails. But basically trying to make things right and the amendment between the two between going back into the past and coming back into the future is is really good, honestly. And he kind of turns from, you know, the guy that was in the past 
into this mindless drone when he goes back into the future. So it's it's just that balance between it does he actually care for her and is he that mindless drone and how that kind of ties together will determine how much of a leg this relationship has to stand on but that's to be seen and they when they are clicking they're clicking on all cylinders and that's why it's in the top three it's time for number two and like i stated in the preamble to this it doesn't always have to be a straight relationship we're gonna go with something here that is two women in an amazing show called Arcane, we're talking about the relationship between V and Caitlyn, or the implied one there. Now, obviously they didn't get together because there's a lot going on in that plot of the show. So romance is probably the last thing on their minds as far as classical dating and relationship things. But the connection these two shared throughout the show is very obviously hinted towards being more than just friends. They very much like each other, are interested, and they have a very cute dynamic. You get the classic, you know, the lady and the tramp kind of thing. You get this person, V, who is from the streets, real grimy, fighter, fights for everything they ever had, real evolutionary character, just hard-ass, right? And then you get Caitlyn, who comes from this very well-off, privileged, high-class family. She's trying to become a what V is, but she can't because the family doesn't want her to be put into danger and keeps her back from progressing in, like, the military police of the city. And you get these two clashing, basically. You get V seeing Caitlyn having everything she's ever wanted, which is stability to be able to enjoy her family. And then Caitlyn sees V being everything she's ever wanted in this ultimate warrior going through and doing whatever they need to and being a badass. And it's just awesome to see them connect by what they care about and showing them that the grass isn't always greener. While V is this tough person, she has a lot of destruction in her life and hurt, especially when it comes to her sister, because she couldn't protect them and was kind of an asshole because of that hard exterior she has. And then you see Caitlin talking about how having everything doesn't necessarily mean your family's still going to be good because the problem she faces with her parents or anything. It's a super interesting dynamic and they tackled it amazingly well in arcane and that's why i fought for this to be so high at number two in our top relationships award i hope they go somewhere with that in season two i'm excited to see what they do with that as well but that leads us to number one once again and we promise there's no recency bias on this even though it's the most recent thing that we saw but our winner for the top ship twitter's favorite award this year is Ushio and Shinpei from Summertime Rendering. These two also have a phenomenal dynamic. The show is based kind of loosely around not so much their relationship in a sense, but the, not even dynamic, but just, yes, the dynamic between the two of them. I'm sorry. Because Shinpei, the entire loop that he is in, spoilers, the entire loop that he's in throughout this entire time starts when he comes back for Ushio's funeral because Ushio died. And then throughout the show, we get Shadow Ushio, who is the person or thing that Shinpei spends most of his time with, reconnecting and rebuilding that relationship because Shadow Ushio has all of the memories of the real Ushio and this is a broken simulation or whatever, basically. And so the dynamic between the two of them and how much we see that both of them cared for each other all that time, even when Shinpei left, they both regretted the way that things ended originally between them, even though they weren't dating. 
This is kind of one of those brother boyfriends almost, like we talked about earlier, but not as weird for some reason. But Shinpei is kind-hearted and sweet, and he very obviously cares for Ushio more than he cares for anybody else, including himself, which is beautiful. And he puts everything on the line just to save her, basically, more than the other people in the end. But he's trying to get Ushio back, and he thinks that he can get the real Ushio back. And Ushio, in her shadow form, is still pretty much in love with Shinpei. And all the things that she does, she protects him personally and everyone else. But she continues to fight for Shinpei and his affection and his love. And it's just beautiful seeing the way that those two connect and work together in unison. And then, you know, even when they're apart, they're trying to get back together. And it's just beautiful the entire time. I love these two. It's also very wholesome that they had a great friendship growing up that they show throughout the show in the flashbacks and everything else. They've been around each other for a long time. And I like friendships slash relationships like that a lot. That's why this one is at number one. It also has one of the most beautiful ending scenes in that show with yes. the fireworks and them holding hands and embracing in front of an amazingly lit up lights. It was one of the best picturesque relationship moments you could ever ask for. You did. Yeah. And now we got to put it toe to toe <laughs> against one of our biggest hitters of all time. It's just not going to happen, bro. Yeah, There's we no got to put this up against Jonas and Marta's relationship from Dark, which we watched year one. So that is a two-time champ going into this fight. Uh, when Ushio and Shinpei is a great warrior. They are a good boxer. I've seen them outclass many of the opponents to be here. But sadly, I don't have them beating Jonas and Marta on this. Shit, we even got to ask, bro. Neither do I. I. You know, in the end, it's not that tough, but they're in similar situations, if you think about it. Uh, I just think that Jonas and Marta had to go through a lot more for theirs, and theirs was much more exciting and interesting. It's definitely Jonas and Marta with the clean sweep. Three time. Three Not time. two time. That's the second, second three time, baby. Second three time. You love to see it. Now, we must talk about the top three placers for our Louis Hoffman most drip award. If you're not familiar with Louis Hoffman, he plays Jonas in Dark, and he has some very fancy suits. That man knows how to dress himself. <laughs> so we got to talk about the characters, you know, that have the most style, right? It's a mixture of what your physicality looks like, but also what you're wearing and how you embody yourself. Drip isn't just, you know, the looks and what you put on. It's about the man beneath it, too. And that's what we got to talk about these characters here today. And I would like to pass the microphone to Eli to talk about our third most drippiest ombre of the year. I'm going to start this off by saying that all of us with these characters um, obviously have some sort of attachment and will be talking more in depth about these particular characters in the future. Um, as for most drip, number three on the list, we have Tengen from Demon Slayer Season 2 Entertainment District Art. Uh, Tengen was cool. He came in. He was the flashy Hashira. He mm -hmm. all he cared about was being flashy, um, and he came in just garment was just things all over him, just looking just clean, right? Three wives on him, 
just dripped out of his mind. And I went, you know, you know, he's he's looking good, right? He's kind of an asshole. He's looking good. He, then he puts the hair down. Cool. The hair comes down. My titties come out. <laughs> oh Lord, I am dripping. Um, Milk. <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs> the hair down Tengen is a, is a debatable top one character on this list. The problem is can't 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 pull that off at all times. You know he's got to keep it away at sometimes. Um, but yeah, there's there's really no argument to why he should not be in the top three, and that's why he is at number three because we have two more that they will explain in just a second. So. Coming in at number two, another one of these suave characters is our man Gojo from Jujutsu Kaisen. Gojo, and it's it's you're gonna understand in a few minute in a minute why he wasn't number one, but it's tough that he wasn't number one because Gojo is always dripped out of his mind. Okay, he is so beautiful that he has to literally cover himself half the time so that you don't know how beautiful he is. His hair, spiky all the time. It looks good. Normally, he wears the blindfold. And even with the blindfold, Gojo is swagged out of his mind. He looks awesome. Then we get, every once in a while, Gojo with the glasses. Gojo with the glasses is a crazy enough look as is. Gojo gets the little kind of the eyeglasses that you wear just down a little bit. But they cover his eyes because that's the important part, right? And he is so handsome. He's so suave. He carries himself so confidently in in his stature and what he wears. It's awesome. We've also seen him in the leather jacket with the glasses. Dude has ultimate swagger, and I love it. But then when Gojo strips it down even more, just Gojo with the eyes, his eyes, it only sort of counts a little bit, but like his eyes are so beautiful that they count as a drip all their own. And Gojo with the eyes, uh, if I if I saw those eyes in person, I would melt a little bit, I think, because that's how cool Gojo is and that's how beautiful his eyes and his face are. And he is so amazing in his, his swagger and the way he carries himself. That's why he's at number two. It's time to talk about the recipient of the Louis Hoffman Award for Most Drip. And we got to go head over to Japan for this one, my guys. So we were already there, I thought. <laughs> kind I'm of. Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we did watch a show by the name of Tokyo Vice set in the 90s. Now, if you know anything about Tokyo, Japan and, you know, Shibuya and like the red light district is that these dudes know how to party. They know how to get down. So what happens when you take all go in there and you see the drippiest of them all? You find out his name is Sato. From Tokyo Vice, right? This dude, Sato, is Yakuza. So not only does he have these drippy back tats already, already ahead of the game coming into the party, he's also got slicked back hair to let these bitches know he's ready to rock. All y'all. You can come in with you, your friend, your friend, her friend, and all of them come with me. But not only does this man have the slick back hair, the tattoos, he knows how to responsibly dress himself. Not only does he get into an argument with the main character, Jake, about different kinds of shoes, arguing that Bapes are better than Nike Dunks, but to be fair, it was the 90s, Dunks do rule now, and Bape is gone, but at the time, Bape was that hot shit. Sato knew what was up in Japan. 
rocking around with some babes like a badass motherfucker. But not only does he carry himself with his amazing drip, amazing hair, and amazing tattoos, he exuberates confidence. He walks around into a building, and you know he's the toughest motherfucker there. But then the women know, they're like, oh my god, there's something deeper to him. And they're all attracted to him. But that's too bad because he has his eyes on one woman. And that's why he's just so drippy. He just goes about the entire life acting like he's the coldest one out, the hottest one out, the baddest one out. And that in and of itself is drip. It adds to his overall appeal. And that's why he had to easily take away the Louis Hoffman Award for most drip this year. But he's got so, a tough I, test in front of him. I was going to say, we got another two time champ. Got to go against the two time. Two time. Mother's Milk, aka MM, aka Big Marv from <laughs> The Boys, which we ironically also refreshed ourselves on this year as well. Gosh. I got to be honest with you guys. I'm a little biased, but I think I got to put Sato over MM this year. Really? I do. Ugh. That's just me. Honestly, bro, all I can picture in my head is MM with the Wu Tang shirt. And it's just unbeatable, man. It really is. And I'm I'm sorry. I really am to Sato because he deserves it, man. But unfortunately, two people can't hold this award, and my vote would be for MM. There's a reason Sato won this award this year. Hmm. Sato does the business look very well. The business casual look pretty well. But the way that MM is always going around, his chains are better than Sato's chains. That's a fact. That's, I'm, that's, not, I'm, I'm not even going to fight with you on that one. That's a fact. That's a fact. You, cannot, you cannot beat a black man in a chain off. Come on now. It's, it's not going to happen. Right? That, I mean, because that, like, Sato, Sato got some swagger with the chains. But MM with the chains is different. Then you write the Wu-Tang shirt. All the shirts that MM wears are fire. He's also he got an can, immaculate haircut and a beard lineup. Oh my yeah. gosh, dude. I wish I could, you know, grow facial hair like that. Oh well. But the only thing saving our future contestants for this award is that MM could not keep his baby mama. So hey, keep that, that in isn't mind. very drippy. That it's not drippy, drippy at all. You know, she married some white dude named Todd afterwards. It is true. Some funky dude named Todd. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't say that. You didn't say that. I'm going, you know what? It's it's still got, it's got to be MM, dude. It's got to be MM. I hey man. They're both deserving. They are. This one was not as easy as some of the other ones. So while while Sato was the 2022 Louis Hoffman recipient, you got to remember, and at the end of the day, it's MM's world, and y'all just living in it. <laughs> so now we must head into our next award for the evening, which is a award that we made because we wanted to make it, and it just describes everything that we love in TV, which is the Top Hubby slash Top Daddy Award, named after Jensen Ackles from Supernatural fame, also now known as Soldier Boy and the Boys. This one is going to be interesting because there are some good contenders, and you might have just heard all of them. (laughs) (laughs) It's a common theme. Maybe. (laughs) So we got to start off with big three stacks. Take it away for us for number three on our top daddy of the year. Three stacks at three. Well, uh, you know, you just heard me talk about him. 
Uh, our boy Gojo is back again, this time third place instead on the top hubby award. Now, the reason he only number three, partially because he doesn't appear in the show enough, and then partially because realistically, as awesome as he is, as swagged out as he is, as drippy as he is, and makes me, it just doesn't translate the same way to the, the hubby material. You know what I mean? He's beautiful, and he's handsome, and he carries himself very well, but he just doesn't do all the kinds of things that we want from the hubbies. I mean, he's a, he's a protector of sorts, but it's really, in a lot of ways, a selfish motive, which is not always something that we want from the hubbies. So that's why he's only number three, but all the same things still apply to Gojo and how amazing he is. That's why he's even on this list. Hi, I'm back. I'm here to talk about my lord and savior, the person I subscribe to religiously, Sato from Tokyo Vice. Now, you may be here asking, right? Sato is already known to be a sexy man. He knows how to dress himself. He's handsome as fuck. He's got great tattoos. What more could make him better hubby slash daddy material? Well, he is loyal to a fault. He finds the girl of his dreams, she shows that she wants him, and he will do anything for her, even if that means degracing himself by doing stupid ass shit. He literally will do anything for his GF, or baby moms, even though they ain't really together officially, he goes and holds her down anyways. Oh, hey, I got into trouble with this gang, holds her down. My friend's kidnapped, I don't know where she's at. Holds her down and goes beat some motherfuckers ass. I just got robbed for multiple millions of dollars. Can you help me? Holds her down. And even despite doing all that and trying to fuck with his best friend, he still respects her at the end of the day and knows that he will protect her if she ever needs anything from him. How is that not an amazing partner? How is that not a top daddy, top hubby of the year? Come on now, what are we talking about? But sadly... It's only enough to get him second place in the Jensen Ackles, America's Top Daddy of the Year. <laughs> I apologize for some viewers' ears right here, some <laughs> listeners' ears. As a famous man named LeBron James once said, not one, not two, but three bad bitches that Tengen landed, right? He waifu'd up three bitches, and I said, I said the hair comes down. The titties come out, and boy, were they out. Is that all I have to say? Probably. I told you, and if you're listening on YouTube to the little segment of this, go back to the last one. Go back and hear why Tengen has the drip, because that's why he landed these three waifus, for lack of a better term. (laughs) I Again, I don't got to say much. We know why he's here. Everybody who's seen this show knows why he's here. He is that guy. But not only does my case. he bag them, he protects them. He has, you know, he's always helping them out and making sure they stay safe and everything, no matter what, always around. And you know he married them just to keep them protected from any kinds of wars or anything because he's such a high-ranking motherfucker. He's a great guy, man. He's a great he's guy. So cra- oh, he's yeah, that so stuff's good. cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't the big thing, but that's, that's cool. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's see. What do we have put him up against our running defending. It's only a one time, you know, this. Yes, he's trying to go for two. Tangan must go head to head with Kovacs. 
from the first oh, season shit. of Altered Carbon oh. to determine who's coming out as America's top daddy. I'm not going to lie to you. I think Kovacs still has the big dick energy over really? Tengen. He, he oh, has boy. big dick energy. He I does. agree with you there. That being said, I can't go against Tengen, man. I, and he is he is the biggest daddy in the universe. I I can't go against Tengen either on this one. I'm not gonna lie. We got Yasmi. We got a new champ because Tengen's that dude. The three waifus is pretty crazy in and of itself, and then it's just all the things he does for him is even crazier. I'm going with Tengen as well. This is a sort of shocking development. We have our first brand new champion of the year. 2022 hasn't produced many current champions, but we have one in Tengen, the flashy Hashira. Yeah. (laughs) It's time to head into the opposite of this award. We talked about the men. We almost sounded, you know, pretty... Uh, fruity in our conversation but that's <laughs> okay because <laughs> we're not scared to be open about our feelings you know what I mean we, even if we don't like men like that we can see it in them and we can be like hey that's a man right there but we also <laughs> gotta admit right. that hey that's a wifey right there that's waifu material right there <laughs> yeah it is as we head into America's next top wife <laughs> as we enter this amazing conversation about a bunch of different female characters and the different aspects we liked about them, not including just appearances. And to start you off today, it's going to be me talking about Caitlyn from Arcane League of Legends story. Now, you may be saying, why Caitlyn? She's not necessarily super duper attractive. She's not super duper great because she holds you down, man. She got with V and protected V and helped fight alongside her despite being so rich up in the ivory tower and not needing to help anyone. She still did. She helped the people, tried to help her out with her sister and everything was going on there. You get injured, that's all right. I'll find a way to patch you up and I'll sneak you into my big ass penthouse house to do it. I will put myself on the line to make sure you're okay and that to me embodies greatness and someone that deserves to be on the top wifey list. Well, don't you worry. We got number two right here. And I love this person. It is Hayasaka from Kaguya-sama, Love is War. Hayasaka, now Hayasaka also makes it on this list a bit more for her attractiveness as well. Totally fine. But Hayasaka does everything for, uh, for Kaguya throughout the series she's like her personal assistant or her butler or whatever she gets i think she gets paid for it i don't know but she carries her in the backpack throughout the entire show she helps or even just straight up makes the decisions for her in a lot of ways with her relationship or whatever with shirogane she makes the decisions she tells kaguya what to do how to handle things because she knows how to do it She's taking care of Kaguya, and then at one point, just to make a point to her, she tries to go and steal Shirogane, and the only reason she didn't is because she didn't have enough time. She could have done that, just because she wanted to, not for any, like, just just because Kaguya said that she couldn't, and she was like, oh, watch this, and so she would have done it, 
But even so, all she was doing was looking out for Kaguya's best interest. And she doesn't get the credit she deserves from anyone in that show. Which is a shame, because she'll get all the credit she needs right here. She's holding it down. She holds down Kaguya, even Shirogane a little bit. She's working behind the scenes all the time, doing the work that needs to be done that other people aren't going to do. Hayasaka is amazing. Number one on this year's top wifey list. We have Nagamo, Miss Nagamo, from Summertime Rendering. Now, you talk about probably the most badass female character that we saw the entire year. She doesn't need anybody to hold her down. As Neo said, Miss Independent. That's why I love her. She is the most independent woman slash man, I guess. (laughs) That we've seen in this show, in this in this year, honestly. She can do everything herself and add in the fact that I don't even think it's debatable, at least not among us, that she is the most attractive character that we've seen this year. Um, those two factors make her top on our waifu list, waifi list, I guess, with the uh, live actions as well. Um, yeah, that's all I got, honestly. So this year, Nagamo takes home the Sims Paradise Award for top wifey slash waifu of the year. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not looking good for her, though. It's not. She must go toe-to-toe with the Mike Tyson of the wifey (laughs) division. Marta from Dark. It's a wrap. It's not Marta knocked her out in the first round. (laughs) Yeah, 20 seconds, bro. She was undefeated and then met Marta. But you know what that means, though, with Marta retaining her title and the new champion, the top, technically, the king and queen, the top pair is Tengen and Marta. Hey, what a power couple. What a a power power couple. couple. That's insane to me. I just don't, I don't see how anyone can really break this up. That's unreal, dog. You know, they, Marta has been paired up at this point. With three different men, and yet she's still holding out at top her <laughs> throne. You don't understand. It's going to be tough for y'all, motherfuckers. <laughs> who's who's Ted getting given the crowd to next year, bro? That's the only. That's the first one that's changed every year, dude. You see, my thing is, man. The only downfall for Martha at this point, she can't hold down a male counterpart no, in no, the no, awards no, no. list. That's not what it True. is. That's not what it is at all. <laughs> Is that they're not good enough for her, so she dumps them. So, Fair enough. That's all she's it is. looking like Adonis Creed, and she's asking like he asked, <laughs> who's next? Who's next? You pick them. <laughs> who's next? Because she's knocking out the competition. <laughs> we must start our discussion about a very fun award for us to always throw about, <laughs> thrash about, and scream about. Like big man children. <laughs> we must talk about our Adam Sandler Award for most hated character. These are not necessarily characters that are bad as in terrible writing. These are characters we just wanted to get the fuck off our screen. And to start things off, we must hand it over to Tristan for number three. All right. All right. My, so I, disclaimer, I don't think anyone that I really had 
up here made it, but these these three are very deserving of of this list anyways. So I'm going to start it off with Mike from season four of Stranger Things, specifically season four. Um, he's not as bad throughout the whole show, but season four, Mike is despicable to me. I don't want to see him because his whole character arc is I love Eleven. I love Eleven. And the blinders are on for everything else. He pretty much has no real clue what is going on around him or with all of his friends throughout most of the season because the only thing on his mind is his like 15, 14-year-old girlfriend, 11, which is crazy. It's crazy. They're freshmen in high school and that's all this kid cares about as opposed to like the end of the world or anything more serious. She's going to save the world and he's like, why doesn't she love me? This dude is an idiot. And then you have to deal with the fact that they're they're trying to do the Mike and Will thing. And so Will is like pouring his heart out to Mike. And Mike is like, that's cool. Where's Eleven? And Mike is sitting there in the car right next to him crying his eyes out. And Mike is like, I miss my girlfriend. Why doesn't she love me? This dude is an idiot. He doesn't do anything productive for pretty much the entire season. He's just along for the ride whining and complaining about his own stuff instead of caring about anything else that is going on with the rest of the crew i don't like this kid in season four he's an idiot agreed uh at number two along the lines of not contributing anything to the team we actually have somebody who hindered the team very consistently (laughs) and that was mary winchester in the latter seasons of supernatural uh not only was she just the most detrimental character to my mental health while watching this she was also actively hurting the team every chance she got whether it be sleeping with british people that are actively trying to kill them oh my gosh uh, that that was pretty much the the main deal <laughs> but she she got them in trouble various times that my brain cannot recall um she was an annoying character she never really appreciated sam and dean for bringing her back which fair i mean she was living her own good life back up in heaven um but she pretty much came back said fuck you guys did her own thing and that own thing was not good that own thing was probably the worst moments that we got in the latter seasons of supernatural and there were some bad ones trust me there were some bad ones if you've seen supernatural you know what i'm talking about uh if you don't then you're brain dead um mary gets the second spot on our list if it weren't for one terrible terrible character this year she would be number one and what was that bro i (laughs) i have risen many days in my life (laughs) i have slept many nights (laughs) i have watched many tv shows i have watched many movies i have read many books i've read many comics very rarely do you get me to get so angry and visceral that I try to turn off the show only to be reminded that I am forced to continue to watch it because I have an agreement with two other people that I consider devils now <laughs> that made me watch this man on my screen over and it's over. Not, it's not my fault. And I must tell you that his name is Danny and he is from a show called Bloodlines. And no, I'm not talking about the lines I created by scratching my eyes out and dripping <laughs> blood down my face. I'm talking like connections between family. Because that's what the show is about, right? Family. So how could a show about family include a character so fucking bad? Well, Danny is the definition of an asshole. Any yes. fucking leech you've ever had in your life 
it's Danny. You know that friend that comes up and he's like, hey man, I know we haven't talked in a while. Can I borrow five bucks? That's Danny. You know that family member that continuously shows up to family functions just to fuck them up for everyone else? That's Danny. You ever have that brother or sister that just seems to get on your nerves for no fucking reason, even though you don't even want to talk to them? That's Danny. You ever seen Satan? (laughs) You guessed it. That's Danny. That's awesome. Danny is such a wide-scale piece of shit that he just can't help himself. His mother and father invite him back to town after all the bullshit he's done, everything like this. And just to let it be known, He's not just a 20-year-old kid, 16-year-old kid. He's a 40-pushing 50-year-old grown fucking man. And he comes back home and just spits in his family's face. His father wants nothing to do with him. Leaves the decision up to his old, his you know, his brother. His brother still doesn't want anything to fucking do with him because he's such a fucking piece of shit. The only family member that even cares about him is the mother because she puts on the biggest fucking blinders I've ever seen. It's like the old Kanye glasses with the slits in them, except they're entirely filled. You can't see through the glasses. They're not even glasses. They're blockers. They're walls. And that's what she's wearing. Because how can you not see that this dude's just a slimy piece of shit? He looks like the fucking Joker took off the white paint on his face and just started walking around chilling. Like, that's actually what Danny looks like. And I'm sorry to disrespect that actor, but goddamn, brother, you have a slimy-ass face. <laughs> if I were to walk down the park, bro, if I were to walk down the street and I saw your ass, I'm like, damn, that dude's about to shank me or try to sell me some fucking meth. Danny literally is just the biggest sack of shit. He becomes a drug dealer in his family's property, fucking them over, getting them raided by the DA, and being, lol, not my problem. He tries to sell out every single person in his family because why not, dude? There's child traffickers killing people, blowing up boats with people all over him. Danny's like, oh man, how do I get involved with that? That sounds like a good money-making opportunity. What a fucking piece of human fecal matter. Danny has never upset me like anyone else ever in my life. Even real life motherfuckers that have done terrible shit to me, Danny's worse than them. <laughs> I will never understand and I will never see another character like this. He, I hated him so much, that show got a zero from me. Yeah. Death Note live action got a one. Just putting that out there. That's why Danny is the biggest <laughs> trash can ever. And this award should be renamed after him, to be honest. I agree. Because you will never get anything to ever top how fucking terrible this stupid, no-good fucking loser was. And I almost want to delete the actor from the planet. That's how bad he was. Oh, my God. And that's why he takes away the Adam Sandler, soon-to-be-renamed Danny Award, for being the biggest piece of Danny. Oh, wait, I meant shit. Thank you. Yeah, no, I don't need a vote, bro. This dude gets it. This dude gets it for the next five, 10, oh, 15, wow. 20 years. He's going against John Kreese. Sorry, John Kreese. I guess you don't get to be the winner of the losers. That's Danny. I, I was going to go with Kreese still. It didn't matter in the end. <laughs> yeah. For as long as me and Reek are still breathing, Danny stays alive on our worst character list. We might have to change some things then, like your breathing status. No, we have to change Danny's breathing status. <laughs> they already did. <laughs> no, I meant the actor. Oh my dear dude. Whoa, whoa. Now it's time to talk about some positivity. <laughs> as we head like into our next award for the day, which is the best villain award. We must hand out the evilest, grimiest motherfuckers who just get under your skin or scare you and freak you out 
but they're pretty fucking cool anyways. So we must kick things off with the big mons, Eli. I am the big mons. So this dude, he ain't slimy. He's, he's really not slimy at all. Is he creepy? Possibly. We got number three. It's Sukasa from Dr. Stone. Um, he is less of a villain and more of an anti-hero to the overlying plot. He has his own story going on. Um, if they had a story following him, they could twist it to where he is the hero in the story. It's just a very anti-protagonist anti, er, plot. And his goal is basically to kill all the old people that have been turned to stone and start anew with the prime of the crop and just make the world dominant. Um, is that an opinion that I think a lot of people would have if this scenario in Dr. Stone and everybody turned to stone uh, would have? Yes. I, I honestly think a lot of people would side with him. I'm a hundred percent on his side. That being said, he is evil to the plot line. And he he did everything that he could to fuck up what uh, Sanku was planning. That being said, in season two, he uh, he turned face a little bit, and it was one of the best face turns, if not the best face turn we've seen all year. Um, I'm excited for when he inevitably comes back because I know it'll happen, even though I haven't read further than we've watched. Uh, I am looking forward to him joining the hero's journey. And we'll see where that goes. But he was a great villain in his anti-hero time. I agree. Well, coming in at number two on our list is maybe not everyone's favorite. Clearly not ours. But a lot of people's favorite villain from the year. Vecna from season four of Stranger Things. Vecna was very well done in the start. The idea behind Vecna, the look behind Vecna, Vecna is creepy and scary. The first time that Vecna comes on the screen in season four of Stranger Things is pretty terrifying. He's a scary looking dude and just the darkness, the suspense around him coming onto your screen for the first time is crazy. What <clears throat> The build up to him showing up for the first time with him killing people, mangling their bodies, it, it's crazy. There's a lot of buildup. It's very suspenseful. It's fantastic. Probably the main reason, if not just one of the reasons that he's not even higher on this list is that he kind of became a bit overused throughout the show, throughout this season. And so that took away a little bit of his mystique, his scariness and all that other stuff. But they did, in my opinion, at least make up for it a little bit. He had a great backstory. It was exciting to see how he kind of turned into Vecna and how he became what he is at this point. And I thought that was really cool. But Vecna coming in at number two on our best villain list. For number one, we got to talk about something and a phenomenon that is absolutely interesting. When you're the muscle for the main villain, you usually don't think that that person will be considered the best villain in their show let alone the best villain of the year. But Shide exuded top final boss energy. Every time he was on the screen, you just felt something off and different about this guy, despite him being portrayed as the right-hand man to the main villain of the plotline. 
until he wasn't. Because his entire time, he was waiting to betray that villain because that's how villainous this son of a bitch is. Shide, in his full-on blacked-out Hulk form, is walking around smacking the shit out of the protagonist. The first time we see him, he literally kills all of them, forcing them to reset the timeline in summertime rendering to even have a chance of beating him and his compatriots. That's why Shide just came in there, screamed, and said, I'm the go. And they said, please, sir, stop whipping my ass. And he said, no. <laughs> that's why I love this guy. And then you get his non-full-up hulked-out form, where he's just a normal dude. He's just a priest. He's chilling. Oh, I'm just a normal priest. And then they confront him about it, and he switch flips. He just goes, I am the coldest one out. You can't do shit to me. You can try to kill me. You won't get it done. Yo, you cut the head off that? That was my fucking doppelganger. I'm here. I'm taking one of you with me. Kills a motherfucker. Shide just became a tank, fought everyone, and the final battle, it took a village to take him down because that's how much of a dog he is. Amazing character, amazing energy, and by God, one of the best villainous presences I've ever felt. And I had him going over Vecna just because he never lost that aura. He always felt dangerous, freaky, and mysterious. And that's why he takes home the best villain award. Well, now we have a great question on our hands. We do. Does does Shide top the reigning defending two-time I believe one time, no, one time, one time. Oh, that's one right. Time. We, we started, didn't have it, we started it last year. That's right. Does he beat Johan? I'm, I'm going to go first. He does beat Johan. In my opinion, I was way more scared of she day. It is also a bias of not liking monster as much as you guys and Johan being from monster. That's fair. I, I, I think she day tops it for me. I think the mind games that Johan plays and the things he did to get his goals done raised him a level above Shide for me. This dude dressed like his sister and mm-hmm. pretended to be her around town just to get information and supplement ideas to people, dude. Johan is a different level. The show is named Monster because he's the monster. And he has no powers or anything. He's just a normal guy. And that's how fucking scary he is. I gotta go with Johan for reigning defending. Oh gosh, this this is this. I think this is the toughest one yet for me because I I agree with all the things that Reek just said. He's at a different level with the mind games and the lengths he goes to, especially because he doesn't have any powers. Whereas Shide is like this dark presence and he's a, a monster all his own, right? But he's got whatever powers he's got and like he's scary. He's also kind of cool as a villain and a bad guy, but like he's scary and he he's got all his own plans and such. But his his darkness, his I don't know, his evilness to me does not compare with the evilness that I feel from Johan. It, oh gosh, I I'm gonna have to stick with Johan on this one, unfortunately. Although this one is probably the closest that I've that I've considered between the the defending and the new, but it's Johan. Johan two straps. That man's got two belts 
he's gonna kill three orphans with them. <laughs> like that's how that's how bad of a motherfucker he <laughs> that's is. Very, that's true. Very true. Like goddamn, we what have we unleashed on the world, guys? Can't be giving this guy no titles. Oh man, it's time to head into a duo back-to-back award, but we gotta start with the first half of it first. And you know how we like to be here. We like to get negative. Let's talk about the worst shows we watched in 2022. Eli, I want you to kick us off bilingual style. (laughs) So this year, uh, an LSA año, we watched Paraiso. So... Paraiso is our number three. Does it deserve to be a top three worst show of the year? Yes, it does. It Does that mean it's worse than the two or the one? Absolutely not, because we have some reasonings for why these are just terrible. <laughs> in, in a year where we watch more bad TV, because we watched a lot of good shows this year. We did. If in a year that we watch more bad TV, this might not make their list. This one wasn't that bad objectively in the grand scheme of things. So... About this show, you guys have seen Stranger Things. If you haven't, I don't know where you've been the last, what, six, six years at this point? Yep. Yeah. Um, so take all the things that you love about Stranger Things, right? All, all those moments, throw that shit out the window. You don't need that, bro. Take <laughs> all those bad moments, because there was a lot of them. And if you say there's not a lot of them in Stranger Things, you're tripping. Now, pretend those characters speak Spanish. <laughs> So they're speaking Spanish in the worst Stranger Things remake you've ever seen. And now the main character or one of the main characters dies. Spoiler alert. Don't obviously don't watch the next like two minutes if you don't like spoilers and want to watch Powder Yiso <laughs> for some fucking reason. Um, so the main character dies, right? And in in that journey to get the main character back, about four or five people die because of it. <laughs> trying to get the main character to live. So, what are we doing here? The whole plot line is to get is about hey, we're gonna save a life. We're gonna save this kid that died. But in that journey, we're gonna kill everybody else. We're gonna kill every single character in this show. But that guy's alive now. So it was just a show that the mystery element was okay. The the script and the acting. I I don't know about the acting because you know it was in a different language. So I can't you know knock that too much but it was just not great it was not great at all and that's why it's at number three um again is it worse than two or one definitely not worse than one uh tristan is here to speak about number two okay look uh disclaimer very similar to how reek uh swept our worst movie list uh with his choices i managed to sweep our worst show list uh, with my choices, so we'll we'll continue with that. Uh, Did you throw Paraiso in here? I, I yeah, I put Paraiso on there. Oh no, Tristan! <laughs> look, look, hold on, listen, listen. I also threw the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. That was my show. I thought it looked entertaining. At least it seemed like the right kind of cheesy to me. Like I. It kind of looked like it was going to be a good bad. Like, we, we knew it was going to be bad, but then it would be kind of good. It didn't turn out that way. It was just kind of bad, bad most of the time. Uh, Kristen Bell, 
was the main character, and she played an alcoholic who also was on medications for depression because her daughter died. Um, so we got to deal with her going through that most of the show. And then there was also a random, I don't know, love plot. Because there was a love plot, sort of. But then there was a tangential sex scene. And that made no sense. And then they basically gave away the plot in the title of the show. Spoilers, once again, the murderer was the girl across the street the whole time. It was her. Now... That was the best part of the whole show was when she found out it was the girl and then the little girl, this is like an eight, nine-year-old girl that has a knife and is trying to stab her. That was awesome. That was hilarious. That scene ruled. Uh, but other than that, we just had kind of some randomness and nothing all that exciting. We had the weird handyman plot line where they tried to throw us for a loop. Like he might be the killer and he was never the killer. Uh... But otherwise, it was it wasn't even it wasn't even good bad. Unfortunately, it was just bad, and that's why this is number two on the list for worst shows. Take it away, Reek. I have exasperated most of my energy, <laughs> most of my talk about this show. But yet here I am again to tell you why it is in fact the worst show we watched this year, and probably the worst show I've ever watched in my life. Bloodlines has a star-studded cast. They paid a lot of money for these people. And it genuinely shocks me that they paid all this money to these people and paid no dollars to the writers. This story is terrible. My biggest <laughs> pet peeve in TV is creating a show with no enjoyable characters. Why? Because who the fuck am I supposed to cheer for? Am I supposed to cheer for the plot? Yay, and day passed. Let's fucking go, guys. Next episode, woo, the day passed again. It's fucking dumb. Okay, when you got a bunch of jackasses who are all assholes and have no redeeming qualities, why am I watching it? Let alone you put it on for what felt like 25 episodes in one season, which in reality I think was only like 15 maybe. I think it was like it was just, 10 or 12. It was just a gigantic piece of dog shit. Featuring one of the worst characters in the history of the planet in Danny. Then you got this big jabroni who plays the same fucking archetype in the main character, not Danny. Whoever the fuck he is. He was in Friday Night Lights. I forget his name. He's a big jabroni, too. The mom's a big jabroni. Little Cardellini's in there. You like her? Remember her? Hey, hey that's cool. We're going to use her for exploitative sex scenes. Where you're going to tune into the show just to watch her get railed, buddy. Yeah, that's what's going to keep him involved, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Because this show got a big whopping fucking zero. This thing is terrible. I never, ever want to watch anything from these writers, directors again. I almost canceled my Netflix subscription because this show was such a gigantic piece of shit. Never, ever, ever, ever put something like this on here again, Tristan. Or next time, there will only be two people doing the binges. Thank you. <laughs> so, does this beat our last year's winner, Cowboy Bebop Live Action? Do you need my answer? <laughs> I'm, astu I'm assuming it starts with a Y and ends with an S. And there's an E in there, too. <laughs> yeah, there's an E in there. This is, it spells yes, and it does beat it for me as well. It doesn't for me, dude. I I still, 
Look, <laughs> you guys hated this right away. I don't hate this show. I didn't even have it close to my top three worst shows. But you guys insisted, and you guys just couldn't get it out of your head. So here we are. But it's definitely not worse than the live-action Cowboy Bebop, because that was terrible. That was just the worst. And I can't believe you guys are saying that this is worse than that. At least Honestly. I laughed at Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, dude, if there's a bunch of people that hate this show... Me and Rick will be two of them. If there's two people left that still hate this show, me and Rick will be those two. If there's one person that thinks this show is the worst show in in the history of the world, one of us is still alive. And if there's zero, that means Tristan made it out somehow and me and Rick are fucking dead somewhere. <laughs> and there's there's zero, I'm still cheering on from hell. <laughs> hell. hell yeah. Look. New, reigning, defending. Unstoppable. It's going to go down in the history books of our podcast, Bloodline. <laughs> it's time to talk about positivity, happiness, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy. For those people who remember that song from back in the day. So I'm talking about the best shows we watched in 2022. We watched a lot of great content this year, surprisingly. Yes, a lot we did. Of good, a lot of good shows, pretty good, great shows. And then we had some top tier champions battling it out where it was hard for us to even create a top three because we're like, man, we want to give a nod to a lot of different shows. We almost created a two separate new awards just to give some more nods out to shows that we thought deserved it. That's how high quality these shows are in our top three. And I'll start. Hey, let's give some nods then. I'm going to start it off with number three. Wait, what? You actually want to do nods? Yeah, bro. Let's let's name some, say, name some shows that deserve and would be on a top three list in the future or in the past. My shout out goes uh, to Doom Patrol, which we haven't talked about at all on the award show today so far. But I thought that show was great. And while I think Tokyo Vice is better, that has gotten much love from us in other places. I think Doom Patrol is an amazing story. It's an amazing tragedy covering a bunch of different characters who dis- who just hate their lives and are beaten up and destroyed and you can relate to it if you ever struggled have trauma in your life it's fantastic when it's really really good and that's why i deserve my shout out eli what you got um, my shout out obviously goes to demon slayer season two uh, the fact that it didn't make this list just shows how strong these shows are because we all loved that season of demon slayer and demon slayer as a whole um, this is not a knock on that show at all it's just there was only a few episodes. There's, what, 12 episodes of Demon Slayer? 11. 11? So when I remember the good parts, I'm remembering the two absolutely insane episodes and then the build-up to those. Um, that's just not enough to crack our top three, and it sucks because it's it was an amazing, amazing season two to a great total show. Um, but that's why it gets a nod in a top five possibly but not a top three and you know what my nod is going to peacemaker just because that was such a pleasant surprise for us pretty sure that one was thrown on the list as a total meme with you know john cena being in there and then that actually ended up being one of the better shows one of the good shows that we watched this year i i I feel like i can speak for all of us on this one that it was better than we didn't expect anything out of it. And then it ended up being really solid and something that we enjoyed. Absolutely. And that goes to honorable mentions, man. We really want to give love to everything good out there because we really do hate on the things we do not like. 
So I think it's got it's worthwhile to give shine to those guys who earned it and those writers. That's what I want to do too. We shit on writers a lot. Writers, when you're on fire, you're on fire. You guys killed all three of those shows and you killed these upcoming shows as well. And I want to start us off with number three. My probably one of my favorites, but what ended up shaking out is our third favorite overall is Arcane, a video game adaptation to a TV series. What? We have spent so long on this podcast shitting on live action adaptations and adaptations in general of other pieces of media like Cowboy Bebop, like Death Note, only to come here and put a video game adaptation at number three on our list. Yes, it's animated, so they have a little bit more freedom to match up to League of Legends, but they had a blank slate basically because League of Legends is just a multiplayer MOBA with very minimal lore. So they got to play with it a lot and they crafted something amazing. The way they built up a cliche of, you know, oh, the Undercity and the Overcity, and they built it up in this amazing world where there's these three different factions of the the lower, the upper, and this in-between faction trying to create peace between them all. The characters were great, and everything was so unique about it. The power sources, the way they ran their cities, the uh, military presences, the politics in it. Even though I don't hate politics in most shows, I thought they did it okay enough here to where I didn't want to turn off the show. I thought it was all great and they had some highlights, amazing music throughout the entire show. The animation was so eye pop. You could see the budget being spent in front of your eyes. You could see the millions gone. And oh my God, they spent so much money on marketing and they got so many great artists from different genres, rappers like Pusha T and Jid, big explosive pop rock groups like Imagine Dragons. And they did all they had to do to make this show elevated to the top that it could be. And despite all that, it still was just three on our top three list of best shows of the year. Only number three. That being said, number two. Uh, I have some personal bias why, with why this is so good. And we, I know we all very much enjoyed this show. But I threw this on the list randomly. I saw it. I was like, you know, it's an anime. It looks interesting. I have no idea what it's about. I'm going to throw it on there. It's Dr. Stone. Now, you take season one out of the equation. You take season one as a standalone. I think this wins the award this year. The problem with it is that season two was just not as strong. And that it was still good. We still all very much enjoyed it. I think we all rated it a nine to a nine and a half. Mm-hmm. It just did not close out as our number one. Season one of this show follows Senku, the main character, waking up and just creating a new world after, what, 40? How, how long was it? Uh, I think it was 3,000 3, okay. years. Three, three to four thousand years of everybody being turned to stone, everything depleted, resources depleted. I mean, not so much depleted, but everything that humanity has built over the last at forever, two thousand and whatever, two thousand and twenty-two years, is gone. So, just following the creation of mankind in this new world is fantastic. It was interesting from a science perspective, from somebody who does not like science stuff. It was interesting to see the world building. The characters were fantastic. Um, I'm excited to see where season three goes. It was just season two was not as good, and that's why it falls at number two instead of number one. And so, sneaking in because of that lapse in season two, 
to our number one overall show this year, we have Summertime Rendering. Another anime. Now, yes, animated shows swept our list, but they were very deserving. Summertime Rendering was masterful. We've talked about Shide. We've talked about Nagamo. We've talked about Ushio and Shinpei, right? All of those involved in the same show. Three award winners all in the same show. Listen, the writing was wonderful. The Because we've seen time travel, time loops, trying to fix the past. We had it, you know, around the same time with Tokyo Revengers. And this one did it better. This one was so good in the way that they did the loops and then the start point moving up all the time. It was awesome the way that they wrote that. It was awesome the way that they handled that. And then the fact that it wasn't just a full restart from the same point and things became set in stone once they happened. It was beautiful to see how Shinpei had to navigate that with Nagamo and everybody else. And then when Ushio came back, Ushio was in the loops as well. It was just so cool to see how they worked through all their problems tried to plan ahead for when loops would happen again and what they would be able to do instead to see kind of the chess match towards the end between the good guys in Shide and how Shide was also working through the loops, being able to see what was going to happen and how he was going to handle that. The battles they had, the relationships that we saw between especially Shinpei and Ushio but even just the friendships between some of the other characters and the journey that they kind of went on in their home island because, you know, we don't always see stuff on the little home islands. I enjoy the dynamic, I guess, of a little island, little town, something big is happening. I'm a fan of that. And so that also made it better. But then the fact that it was isolated and they were trying to stop it from, you know, going from anywhere else, it was great start to finish the characters were very good the relationships were good the villain was good the plot line was great the writing was amazing it's voice acting so i can't say too much about that but it was just so beautiful to watch as well the scenery fantastic the animation fantastic that is all culminating into this being our best show of the year And we got to hand it the award because we got a fresh new name for the award, which is a question we have to ask ourselves, which is, can you beat Dark, though, award for best show of the year? <laughs> it's time to answer that question. And that answer is no. 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 I, honestly, <laughs> I think that question will never have a different answer. Um, I challenge a lot of a lot of people to change that. But I can, I can speak for a lot of people when I say I don't think Dark it's, will ever be taken down. It's, it's a scale-breaking show. Like, we gave it a 10 as is back in the day. It's almost an 11 or 12. Like, Dark... We, if that, we did that, like, if we did that kind of shit, it would. Yeah. It's literally... Summertime Rendering has got a consistent 9.5 from all of us. Half a point away from being a 10 out of 10 show. And you ask us to compare them, and the answer was instantaneously no. Because that's how great Dark is. And that's not disservice to Summertime Rendering. Summertime no, Rendering no. is fucking amazing. The show was so good. Yeah. It stuck with me. I've been thinking, I sit down sometimes, like, damn, I really like Summertime Rendering. I remember this moment and this moment and this character. Oh, that was cute, that moment here. And it's just, mm-hmm. it still doesn't beat that three years later, 
I'll be around the crib and I'll be like, fuck, I want to watch Dark, Dark again. Again, dude. Yeah. I want to watch it again so bad. And I legit, just, it's like, so great. Summertime Rendering legit is like a top five to ten show for me of all time. It's just dark. It's, I, like you said, man, I find myself a lot like, damn, I want to watch that again. That was good. Damn, I remember that. That was good. Every time we do this year end, I just, it's it's the dark show, even if we're not talking about it, man. Like, I keep remembering shit that I'm like, wow, that was fantastic and nothing will ever beat that. It's almost like I want to watch it for the first time again. Oh. Yeah, I, I w- wish oh, I was a dark virgin, bro. I want to <laughs> see that, you know, no spoilers, but I want to see that final scene between the two main characters one oh. more time. Oh. And I With just. Dust? I'll never be able to see it again. I'm trying to keep it vague, asshole. I'm not trying. I just, I don't think I'll ever be able to experience something like that until I do. You know? Nope. Yep, and if something comes along and does it, my brother Shout in Christ, I that. will cry. <laughs> yeah. No, I I honestly, I think I might die of happiness if something comes along and beats that. I almost don't want anything to beat it, though. It's, it's, it's a weird medium between trying to chase that high again, but also I don't want anything to, to ever beat that. It's definitely fair. It's so good. Shout out now to Summer Time Runner, though. So now we got to do our top, top award. The most fun for us. The one that took us two and a half hours our very first year. But now we've condensed it because we realized that wasn't very smart of us. Yeah, <laughs> our top characters of the year. We are a character show. As much as we love talking about all these movies and awards and everything like that. The thing we love doing the most is comparing who's got the biggest dick size. Or who's the coolest motherfucker. And that's what this best character awards for. And now we used to do a top 50. And then we would break it down to the top 25 as a group. Now we just do the group 25. So we got to come out with that. And we're going to kick the doors open with Eli hitting us with number 25. At number 25, we've only touched on this show once so far, I have, uh, in Supernatural. And the only saving point in the latter seasons was Jack, the Nephilim, Lucifer's child. He honestly made the latter seasons somewhat enjoyable, somewhat bearable because everything else was so bad. Um, some say stars shine brightest in the darkest nights, and that's exactly <laughs> what he was. He was the shinest, brightest shining star out there. Um, he came in, fit the cast perfectly. Um, I'm not going to worry about saying no spoilers, because come on, like it's season like 13, 14 of Supernatural that nobody watches anymore anyway. Or already so saw. I'm not gonna yeah. not gonna worry about that Either too much. You watch it already or you won't watch it. Exactly. You're not idiots um, like us. But he was a he was a great character. He was that kid trying to find his way between the light and the dark, um, trying to decide whether he should side with his dad and Lucifer or Sam and Dean, the good guys trying to take the evil down. Um, and he ended up being God, as stupid as that sounds. Yeah. He ended up killing God's power and taking it and becoming the God of their world. And uh, that was honestly a great, it was a, it was a great plot point. Um, as stupid and as crazy as the later se- seasons got of that show, he, uh, he made it bearable. The fourth unofficial Winchester brother or Winchester nephew, depending on how you like to look at it. Yeah, Ayo nephew. <laughs> uh, for 24, we had to go to Kaguya-sama Love is War, specifically the second season, in what I felt was a Derek Rose-style MVP performance from Ishigami. 
he had a decent run in season one where he was introduced, but season two, you got to see an amazing development of this guy. You see why he's so shut in and you see him develop and blossom and start to become more social and a lovely moment in the track race where he releases his inner self and finally starts to see people in a moment akin to a silent voice. Like I said, I he put up a crazy performance in the second season. I thought it was amazing. Uh, you know, we all came to the decision that he deserved to be on the top 25 and hit number 24 for us. I agree. He definitely had to make it on this list. But coming in at number 23, we've got Mikey from Tokyo Revengers. And Mikey was was a dog. Okay. Mikey, Mikey would die for his boys. And he proved that time and time again. Mikey kind of started the the gang. Or actually, he didn't even kind of. He did. No. Nah, they all started the gang. Okay. But he was the leader. And Mikey, again, he proved it over and over. The lengths that he would go to for his boys. Now, he had some adversity to deal with. With his boys betraying him. And killing his brother was a tough part of that. And then we see, you know, from the past to the future, how things got crazy with different people dying and different people coming in. But Mikey, this whole time, every time we went back to the past, Mikey just cared about people. He was a dog, but he cared. He would do whatever he needed to. He fought people. He kicked their butts. But it was all for his boys. And that's why he's on this list. At 22, we have from Summertime Rendering, Shinpei, the main character. Uh, he was great. Um, the only the only thing hindering him is he was the vanilla, bland main character of a fantastic show. That being said, he did a fantastic job in his role. He saved the world. He was the smartest one out. He just wasn't as badass as a lot of people in this show. That being said, his dynamic with Ushio, his dynamic with all of the characters, his supporting cast, his friends, his overcoming Shide and the evil that's haunting their small town, him coming back to town to save it, uh, it was really good. That show was really good, and I think that boosted him up the list a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I, that's all I got to say about Shinpei. Coming in then, at number 21... Uh, I believe this is our only appearance from this show at all this year, which is a shame. But we've got Laurent from uh, Great Pretender. Great, I don't know why I forgot the name of that show. That was so weird. It's uh, Great Pretender. I... Only appearance from this show this whole year. I like this show. Season two brought it down. That's why it didn't make any more appearances. But Laurent was the brains of the operation pretty much the entire show. He was suave. He was cool. He was funny. Even though he was just, you know, he was a little stupid funny. Like, he was goofy, uh, but also funny in that way. And Laurent was swaggy. He had great plans. He executed very well. And then we got to, when we got to see about his past and find out more about just him as a character, that was really sweet. And that's what brought him up to 21 on this list. But then I get to go back to back here at number 20, where we have Cliff from Doom Patrol. Cliff is played by Brendan Fraser. This was kind of sort of Brendan Fraser's return to the screen, even though a lot of it was as voice acting. I'm a huge Brendan Fraser fan, so I was very happy to hear about this and see that he was in this show. Cliff is a robot, and he was turned into a robot after he died. 
basically. His brain was put into the robot. And now he is living his life trying to fix the mistakes he made as a terrible father, which is basically how he died. And so we get to see the character development of Cliff, who is an asshole. That's a fact. And we see how Cliff starts to learn to care for other people instead of just himself and the things that he does on his journey and also helping other people and the whole gang. We see Cliff try to be a leader at some times. Other times he's dealing with his selfishness and just trying to do the things that he wants to do. But he's also hilarious and he has one of the worst potty mouths that you're going to see from any character on any of our lists ever. Cliff rules. We stay within the same show, but we go to a different type of character. We go to the resident punching bag of Doom Patrol, my guy Larry. This dude is beaten, broken, and overall just destroyed throughout the show. But by God, do you love to see this dude get hit and keep getting up and keep pursuing the life that he's always wanted and finally accept himself. Well, wrapped in bandages, still doesn't hide this. He's trying to hide himself by being wrapped in bandages metaphorically and literally because of radiation poisoning. Doesn't stop this dude from being amazing. While he's gay, he has to come to acceptance with that as he came. He was born in a time where that wasn't very accepted. He even had a, a wife that he did care about, but he didn't care about her romantically, despite having two children who he loved but couldn't properly place that love. And that becomes a point of contention for him later, which was sad to see. But man. This guy went through so much, you just cheer for the underdog, and by God, I love Larry to death, and he was played by a fantastic Matt Bomer. Boomer? Bomber. 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 Sure, we're going to call him the Big Matt Bomber, because he was laying them bombs down (laughs) as he was taking his way to being one of my favorite characters in Doom Patrol, and he was great. And now we got to go from the resident punching bag to the person that was trying to create punching bags, Jinx from Arcane. She is a layered, layered person, man. When you saw her as a little kid as Powder, you were like, oh, she's cute. She just wants to tag along with her big sister, V. And a moment ends up happening where she just tries to be a cute little kid, but ends up destroying things for everyone. And it causes her to morph into this dynamic Joker's type character called Jinx, who has suffering from major mental issues from plethora of them, Stockholm Syndrome, what looks like to be schizophrenia, She's just suffering, and it's all because she always wanted to be loved by her sister. And even through all of this, she still wants her sister's affection. And man, that arc was so beautiful to watch and to see where it goes in the future. I can't wait. I really can't wait two or three years. Arcane, hurry it up because I got to see the adventures of Jinx going forward and see how she can redeem herself or if she even will in this damn show. At number 17, this character fits a narrative and a type of character that I really, really like in TV shows, and that is the backup character, the background character that really doesn't have much emotional value or backstory, but just does cool shit the entire time. Um, The reason he does not have more background uh, is the reason why he's only at 17 and not higher on the list, but that is Fushiguro from Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, He honestly is the i don't want to say muscle but the technique the swordsman of the group um he summons demon dogs that take down demons or devils or whatever spirits whatever they called him in the show um and it was just cool man he was just kind of doing his own thing he's again the backup character that just is there for action 
Um, one of his dogs, unfortunately, spoiler alert, dies, and he is kind of just overcoming <laughs> only having a few animals left to summon at this point. So we'll see where that goes with that. But he was a fantastic character nonetheless. Agreed. Coming in at number 16, looking at this right now, I'm surprised that he went as high as he did based on some of his past, but his performance this year in season two, the entertainment district arc of Demon Slayer, Zenitsu has made it in at number 16. Sleepy Zenitsu is my favorite character in the show. Zenitsu just rules. He's an idiot and he just fiends over every imaginable girl. And it's funny to watch. He's hilarious. But this season turned it up another notch for Zenitsu. That's the reason he's up here. He was asleep most of the season, which is why he was as good as he was. Because for some reason, Zenitsu cannot do anything when he's awake because he's such a weenie. However, he passes out due to being so scared. And then he turns into one of the biggest badasses of all time. He only knows one move. But he does the move, and you know exactly what the move is, but he does the move so good that you can't do anything about it. I mean, it's like having Derrick Henry or Marshawn Lynch. You know what they're going to do on the goal line, but you just don't stop it, right? He's done, he, he does, it, does it over and over again, and he just works and works and works, and he gets the job done. He put on a great performance this season. He was still funny, but he was sleepy as a need to, and that's why he got up to number 16. At number 15, once again, reigning from the land of Jujutsu Kaisen, we got Yuji Itadori, the main protagonist of the series. Yuji is a fun-loving dude. He's a little stupid, he's a little on the dumb side, but man, what he does is he cares about people. He's a big people guy. He didn't have no powers. He was he was a G-stub human being, but he didn't have any Jujutsu-type techniques until he saw people getting hurt. And someone about to get fucked up, which was Fushiguro. He said, I got to fight for my guy right here. Eight eats a demon finger and goes crazy and just enters his entire character. This dude sacrifices and loves like no one else. And he makes sure he follows his grandpa's story, which is what? Make sure you have no regrets when you're gone and you make sure you get everything done you need to do, my boy. And he does it. Itadori is brash and he just likes to fight and he does it well. And he just wants to grow on his quest and make sure that people are safe. And that's why we like him. We enjoy him. He has tons of incredible feats throughout the series, which makes him great. And, you know, he's got Sukuna in him. And Sukuna's kind of a bad motherfucker. <laughs> so, of course, we had to put Yuji Itadori at 15. All right. At number 14, we've got someone that I argued for some other lists. But we've got Kohaku, also reigning from Dr. Stone. Dr. Stone great show. Kohaku was the main female character in the show, but also a great protagonist. We saw her when she was introduced at the village that had been around. Later, we find out that it had been around since the world turned to stone. Pretty sweet. Uh, she was a badass. She was a great fighter. She was a great friend. She cared. We saw her originally trying to help save her sister, keep her sister alive because her sister had you know, a mystery sickness to them. And so she did everything she could. And every day she would go and get hot water, bring it to her sister. Every day she did work trying to keep her sister alive. And then she helped Senku and Chrome and everybody else in the war of science versus, you know, not science. But she was a great fighter. 
she was a great friend and she was just a super badass the whole time. At number 13, uh, we have Miss Nagamo slash Ryanosuke from Summertime Rendering. And honestly, with these combo of characters, it could be arguable that they are higher up on this list. But both of them together is probably the best tag team duo you've seen since Kobe and Shaq. They are fantastic. They build off of each other really well. Um, As I said earlier with the Top Waifu Award, Miss Nagamo by herself, which is kind of with Ryanosuke, is probably the most badass female character maybe we've watched on podcasts. Um, she's great. He His little voice inside making her that action-based superhero almost uh, is just the reason that it, we watch that plot line. And once they split apart into their own separate ways, spoiler alert again, uh, it's just even that much better because you get to see both of those characters kind of on their standalone platforms if you will and that again that combo is just not one to be messed with and that's why they rank in at number 13 boom moving into number 12 we go back to jujitsu kaisen and we get one of the most entertaining characters that i have ever seen in my life toto toto is just a large dude and he acts kind of like a big jock might First thing, one of the first things that he says to Yuji is he says, what kind of women do you like? And that's how they end up becoming super good friends, literally just over women. And he spends half his time just talking about his favorite pop star that he is in love with. This dude is awesome. But then he goes around and whoops everybody's ass. Everybody's ass. He can get the action from anybody and he'll just knock them out. Right, knock him out of the park. We learn later in the movie that he was responsible for killing, however many of the curses. Uh, I think he had a couple hundred, or like something or other, large number in the raid of the the parade of the thousand curses. And so that was his big accolade. And then when we watched the movie, we got to watch him do that. Pretty insane. This dude's badass as it is. And then he worked with Yuji in the show. They were a great tag team. Not as good as Nagumo and Ryunosuke, realistically. But Toto on his own, super badass. We love watching him. He's funny. I can't wait to see who he tries to start fights with later in this series. At number 11, we got Draken from Tokyo Avengers, the right-hand man and number two of Tokyo Manji and Mikey in general. This dude has a rough life. He grew up by himself an orphan in a brothel and he came out a great dude. Like just not only is he this big fighter badass with a dragon tattoo on his head, he's had since basically the fifth fucking grade. This dude's a great human being. He takes care of everyone around him. And that's what really makes him stand out for me than just another badass fighter. He takes care of those around him. He's really a family guy first and the gang is his family since he doesn't have a traditional one. And you see him do all these things and chores around the basically brothel he lives in. And he cares about those people and they care about him too. Unorthodox families are one of my favorite tropes in TV. And seeing Draken be like the master of it and just live it all throughout his entire life is great. And I love him for it. And him being at 11, it warms my heart because that dude is just a solid human being. Who also happens to be one of the biggest badasses of one of the strongest gangs and the best friend of one of the strongest men in the Tokyo Revengers universe. We've moved in to the top 10. Uh, at, at number 10, 
another character that fits the trope that I like, the background character that is there for the action and doesn't really have much emotional value, and that is Inosuke from Demon Slayer as a total, but Entertainment District arc this season. So Inosuke, again, we don't know anything about his past. We know that he was born on the mountains, or lived in the mountains, I guess, and he wears a boar head, and he does cool shit. And he's the king of the muscle mice. Um, Damn right. Inosuke, <laughs> Inosuke debatably, if it weren't for Tengen, is the MVP of the second season. Him coming back to life and just rearranging his organs, pause, to absolutely carry the team at some points was just fantastic. And he's just so much... He's so much more entertaining... And it's hard because there's so many entertaining characters in that show than anybody else in that show. And he's just so fun to watch. He provides comedic relief. He has probably the best action uh, action average, I would say. I, I think his tops aren't as top as a lot of characters, and his bottoms are, are non-existent. That's fair. So I, that's why he ends up in our top ten. Absolutely. Moving in to number nine. Back to Dr. Stone, we have the main character, Senku. Senku, as we've talked about before, first one to wake up, basically, and then he starts building the world again from the ground up. He's a scientist, he's a genius, and he starts putting all that knowledge to use to start building the world up. And within, I think it was a year, maybe 14 months, he goes from twigs and branches and stones to electricity and a tank and all of this was his mind now he then used the albeit slightly limited social skills that he had to recruit the villagers especially chrome and he he was able to do that and then he built the world up a little more he took over some stuff and then he started winning fights and now we're going to see how he can help build the world back up in the future and Ironically, that moves us right into number eight. The guy that's going to help him with that, Sukasa. We've talked about Sukasa as well already. He was a great villain slash anti-hero in the first season. In the second season, he had one of the greatest face turns of all time. Sukasa was one of those silent. He was fairly silent. He was a silent leader. He had his ideas, but he was a brooding kind of dude. And that's what he was shown as. But then he was also willing to just go 10 toes down and stick it right in your face. And then we see at the end of the show that he is, you know, going into the, the cryo chamber. So Tsukasa, super badass. Couple fight scenes with him. Love seeing that. Very excited to see what happens with him in the next couple seasons and how much of a leader he's going to be. At number seven, we're heading back to the world of Arcane with V, or Vi, depending on what you really want to go by. No, don't say that either. It's don't me. give them the option. And so we have Vi from Arcane. She is great little character. She's trouble. She's not perfect, and that's why I enjoy her. She goes through so much ups and downs, and she has to live with the guilt of turning her sister away and thinking she's dead for the longest time and trying to figure out how to be a part of the underworld and then you know also having her father figure be dead it's incredible to see the the strong will and iron nature of her to keep pushing forward and become this badass mercenary who was in the clink she gets arrested all the time 
Dude, she's just smooth, killer, smooth, badass. And she has great moments where she lets her guard down around Caitlyn or when she feels the guilt of seeing what Powder has become with being Jinx and all the traps she set up. V has a lot of emotions. She's complicated and she's got a, she's on her way to an arc that's going to be very interesting with her possibly joining the middle ground between the upper and lower kingdoms and going into the peaceful, trying to figure out how to combine the two realms slash city slash nations. I'm excited for what V's gonna do in Arcane. But I also gotta go to number six, Dr. Stone. Gotta talk about my man named after one of the smoothest metals that everyone loves to roll their wheels onto, Chrome. This dude, Chrome, is the second best scientist in the universe behind Senku, but he didn't have any of the books and all of that. He learned it on his own, and that's a great representation of his character. You have a tenacious man who wants to do his best to provide for anyone because he knows he lacks in strength. And that's what you get the brain power. He's like, I lack this, I'll make a fort in this. He has a genuine curiosity that you just love to watch occur throughout the show, even when he thinks to discover something new that Senku, of course, knows because he has thousands of years and millions of years of history and science books to build up off. Chrome is always hunting to make something new. He's kind and caring because we saw him try to take care of Ruri, who's Kohaku's sick sister, and he tries her best to help her, and he loves her. He's just a caring motherfucker, and he's also determined and willing to take a beating like when he gets beat up by Magma. Chrome is a great dude, puts a smile on my face, and boy does he make me laugh with his gags, especially like when he pretended to die and then freaked out when he got an arrow shot at him. Chrome is hilarious. He's funny. He's smart. He's brave. He has a great art, and you see him develop. He's like Senku if Senku still was growing, you know? And that's why I think Chrome is deserving of being number six on our top 25 characters of the year. So our top 25 is a gathering of 25 characters that were good to pretty good, right? We get into the top 10. We're going to get into the really good characters. Now we're into the great. We're into the almost excellent. And at number five, we have Soldier Boy from The Boys, named after him. <laughs> Not actually. Um, so we get Soldier Boy played by my future husband Jensen Ackles uh, what a guy what a guy Jensen is but at the same point Soldier Boy came in and he was just he had the comedic relief without trying he was the grunt that he was he was the character that Jensen Ackles plays like let's be honest he was what I hated about Homelander put into words I love to hate Homelander and he did too and we come to find out it's because he's his dad but just the one-liners, the action, the the build-up, the uh, honestly, the background of his character, where you see how he was the Homelander of his group, and eventually got exiled out of there because he, you know, everybody hated him. But he came back, and honestly, he was by far the best character in the show, and it was awesome to see that. And I can't wait to see where that goes because they locked that boy down. <laughs> Not to mention, he is exactly everything. For me, that I wanted to see out of Dean Winchester. Me, me too, bro. Would have been so good. But that transitions us into number four. We're getting, we're getting close. Number four on our top characters list goes to my man Gojo. Talked about him a good amount as it is already, but Gojo was amazing. Hey, we didn't even I haven't even had a chance to talk about his abilities, but his abilities are what really gets him up there on top of everything else that he's done. Gojo with the eyes, his eyes 
represent his abilities basically and he's even more badass than most of these other people it's incredible his little his world building his prison that he puts other people in and that's just when he really wants to have fun otherwise he's just a killer as is and he don't even need to use his abilities half the time he's just like that so gojo all the amalgamation brings him up to number four so this might come to a shock to a lot of people that are just listening to this episode and not really listening to our other episodes because we've just mentioned this show briefly once <laughs> um and that is vigilante at number three from peacemaker um Vigilante has probably, if not the best, the second best comedic relief that we have seen on this podcast. Um, Second best to possibly only the weasel. (laughs) Um, Vigilante was a fantastic character. Did he have any background? Absolutely not. He was the sidekick who was just funny. He fucked shit up. He honestly, he had a lot of good. He he did a lot of good things too. He, you know, he had the chainsaw. Um, But honestly, his comedic relief is why he's here. And he was one of the funniest characters that I have ever seen. And honestly, it makes me want to go back just to watch him because uh, (laughs) the suit, the Jeffrey Dahmer look when he pulls (laughs) off the suit, I just, I can't get over how much of a relief comedic relief and action relief he was in this show. And that's honestly what made this an eight and a half total score for us for that show. Um, he deserves to be in the top three, no debate there. And that's why he is here. When we discuss in this list of the top 25, there was contention between the top two, but me and Eli had a firm statement that the top two were head and shoulders above the rest. These are two Titans amongst the year for us and at number two in our top 25 we have sato from tokyo vice sato has acquired a few awards from us this year but sato is being number two is just about as great as any of the other ones he has one of the best character arcs you can see in television you see him start from the lowly like starting position of yakuza street grunt getting money you know i mean throwing stuff around at the bar and you see him work his way up to be the right-hand man of the chairman of the Yakuza, dude. Sato just exuded greatness, and you saw, even he doubted himself. He wasn't really the coldest guy out to start the show. He never was just an instant badass who was, oh, I'm the coolest one, I can do anything, I can kill anyone, I can whatever. He starts the show off with struggling to kill someone who betrays the Yakuza, because that was his Aniki, his big bro, and he couldn't come to terms and shoot him when the chairman told him to. And then the chairman told him, you better get it together or next time that might be you. And you see him prove to the chairman that he can be that guy. When a big raid comes to end the chairman's life, he steps up and starts fighting these dudes despite never having taken a life prior to that scene. And his first kill is an impactful scene that you can see visibly shapes the character, but he doesn't say anything. You just see his face, his mannerisms, and everything like that. And Sato just develops dynamically and he just feels so good and despite him developing dynamically he still tries to hold on to his humanity throughout the show with samantha and his best friend jake even though that jake fucks him over and samantha fucks him over he still tries to hold that relationship with them there because it what keeps the old sato around and not the new guy who's this top level yakuza who's also a killer now but it keeps him it keeps him human to a degree. And I just loved watching his journey. He made Tokyo Vice for us. 
Like he he's firing away the best character. He carried that show, and while Jake was great half the time, the other half he wasn't. And Samantha was a total drag. Sato was consistently and the entire time. You just like man, I could watch this dude go for another seven seasons because that's how intriguing <laughs> he was, and I love Sato, and that's why he's number two on our top twenty-five best characters list. The winner for the Binge the best character of the year award it goes to and that by no surprise it goes to tangan from demon slayer season two entertainment district arc when we watched this oh we knew from then that it was going to be tough to beat tangan um he came into the show kind of an asshole he on it honestly didn't think that i'd like him not nearly as much as i do now um he came in as the asshole and he turned into kind of a leader for them in the next few episodes and I was like okay you know I I can stand this dude like he he's there for them like he's trying to protect them like he's trying to kill the demon but he's also worrying about their safety I respect it I thought he was going to kind of go his own way it turned into him being possibly the most badass character ever um after going down getting his arm sliced off he comes back to save the day in one of the coolest action scenes I've ever seen um in television history uh, T- T- Tengen was so cool the entire time. I've jerked him off enough in this entire episode. <laughs> I don't know if there's enough of that. This is this makes possibly three, maybe four times already. Um, add in his character of protecting his wife's, his wives, his waifus, um, and protecting Ten- uh, Tanjiro, Inosuke, Zenitsu, the whole gang to take down the upper six demons, and it was fantastic. And I cannot wait to see more from Demon Slayer. What a list. Top 25 characters. We had to rattle them off. This was entirely difficult to compile because we all got different tastes, but we were able somehow to make something that can resemble that. But while we did make something that resembles our overall taste, it's not about the overall, right, guys? It's always about that number one position. And yes. there is a number one that Tengen has to go head-to-head with. It's our very first winner of the Top Characters Award and probably the undefeated king, two-time heading for his, attempting to get his third. We have Uncle Iroh from Avatar The Last Airbender going head-to-head with Tengen of Demon Slayer Entertainment District Arc. I have to be real with you guys. I love Tengen to death. I think he's super cool. I think the emotional impact and the weight that Iroh has on my life in general puts him <laughs> at staying as number one absolutely dude i i rose family to me and i've never even experienced someone who is like him um that, that guy's emotional value his action too was fantastic but tengen just does not have anything to compete and that is not a knock on him but i just different yeah i had the exact same thoughts Tenyon has all the action and a lot of good qualities about him, but Iroh, Iroh just brought so much more to the table, and none of it was bad. All of it was better than good, and that's why it's got to be Iroh. Man, what a year for us. We watched a lot of good content. Thankfully, very scarce bad content. We worked our asses off. We pumped out a bunch of extra videos on our YouTube pumped out all those holiday episodes still haven't missed a week a hundred 
40, 132 strong. Jesus. That's that's crazy. that's crazy, man. We we love doing this, man. We wouldn't do it for the love of the game, you know. We love it. We love when we get comments from people who love our shit. We love when we get comments from people who hate our shit. It's just <laughs> it's so fun. It just it really is enjoyable. And we want to thank anyone who made it this far through the episode or is into the end of this twenty five character segment. You we appreciate you so much, and we're we're so close to reaching like a big goal for us in the four K watch hours. If you have anyone that enjoys our content, you know, that might enjoy it, check it out. If you guys want to check out some more old shit, check it out, man. We work our asses off. We don't ask for anything back. We don't get sponsors or anything like this. We do this for the love of the game, damn it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's a blessing and a curse, and we love it, and it's great. Can't wait to come back to you guys at the start of the new year. Something fresh. We're going to do one more movie just to give ourselves an extra break because scheduling conflicts end up leading to a much more hectic year end than what was planned for. <laughs> but hey, yeah, and and if you're on a podcasting uh, platform, go check out the YouTube because you'll see our edit our editing work and why we are taking a little bit extra break. Yeah, we're gonna do some extra work onto these year end awards to try to make them appealing for every single person that wants to listen to them, whether you're on podcasting platforms or on the YouTube. We'll also be posting these awards as they roll out on our Instagram and Twitter so you guys can see our awards there. And maybe you'll be enticed to check out the full episode, which you have done already. You know what I mean? Maybe you can trick your friends into watching our shit and be like, hey, look at who these guys voted as their top hub- hubby of the year, top daddy. <laughs> They're like, three guys picked a top daddy? They're like, yeah, none of them are gay? No. I gotta figure out who these guys are. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, it's, you're never gonna find that anywhere else because you're gonna find that at the Bitch Boys and you know what that DA stands for, boy. So <laughs> we want to thank everything. We hope you guys have an excellent new year. We want to remind you guys we have social media for as long as they will last because it's not looking very good. We have a Twitter at B-I-N-G-B-O-I-S where we post funny little tweets about nothing. Usually sporting events to be honest even though we're music or tv and film podcast and we talk about a bunch of other shit on there what the fuck uh you can find us there at b-i-n-g-b-o-i-s that's twitter until elon kills it we have an instagram at d-a-b-i-n-g-b-o-i-s that's t-a-b-i-n-g-b-o-i-s and the d-a stands is what D.A. stands for dumbasses, man. I fucked that up. I can't even speak English anymore. <laughs> that just uh, proves the point of our D.A. right it's there. It's been a couple hours, bro. Yeah, it's been a couple hours. TikTok <laughs> at D.A. B-I-N-G B-O-I-S where you can see all of our China propaganda as we <laughs> pretend that China won the World Cup instead of Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They did, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, dude. I love that guy. Ling Chong Mishai. Whoa. <laughs> Dude, okay, it's not racist. It's a, it's making fun mm-hmm. of if Lionel Messi was, you know, mm-hmm. Chinese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good job, dude. You made it look racist. Thanks, buddy. That's why you're getting fired and you're losing pay. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's also because they put bloodlines on the list. That's, Shout that's out. That's true, dude. bro. Y'all that's are absolutely haters. true. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. We hope you enjoy your New Year's events. Don't drink and drive or you're a jackass and we'll come personally whoop your ass. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll get jumped by three geeky ass fucking 20 year olds coming out the (laughs) cut of all shapes and sizes. Absolutely. Let's go. You're going to pop out on you like those Russian dolls. You're going to go from biggest to smallest. Like, what's up, son? Oh, my God. Uh, It's going to be great. 
Thank you guys for looking out. Dude, with we should the, just, oh, sorry, what's up? What's up? just rename our pod to The Russian Dolls. <laughs> yes. The Russian Dolls, eh? The Babushka the Boys, eh? The Boys. Uh, Let's get the Babushkas. Oh, shit, the Babushka Boys. We're going to Russia. <laughs> Fuck the beanies, bro. Yeah, absolutely, dude. So, yeah, man, we want to thank you guys for listening to all of our bullshit. Listen to us ramble. If you made it this far, you know who we are, but I got to remind you, anyways. Thank you for hanging out with us with you today. My name was Enrique. My name was Eli. My name is Tristan. And I want you guys to remember the binge boys are going to be here for eternity. (laughs) 